and they would kind of get a, a, a they would go in for a spiritual assessment. Where am I holding in life? How can I be better? He sits down in the altar of his room. Altadeva looks at him and says, you haven't even begun to serve God yet. The guy went white. He passed out. He was in shock. Oh, I poor guy. <laughs> like, what have I been doing my whole life if I haven't been serving God? <laughs> they revived him and, and he's, he's like, what's going on here? What do you mean? He says, you're doing great things. Don't get me wrong. But it's not a service. You're not challenging yourself. This is within your nature. You're a good, kind-hearted person. You give lots of charity. You like to have people over. You're a studious person. You give lots of classes. It's just who you are by nature. So you've got to challenge yourself. You've got to push yourself. Push your limits. To the Take it to the next level. Serving God means... Where was it? Is the one at the bottom of 180, the one about the Yitzhahar? Oh, uh, maybe here. Oh, the person. So now if he gave charity to people he didn't want to give charity to, if he gave, if he did... And, and perhaps a little bit more than he wanted to. And, um, stepping out of, in a stepping out of his, <laughs> out of his comfort zone. So to go out of the comfort zone. Yeah. To, to go charity. to go beyond our nature. You know when? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm referring back to uh, the second paragraph from the bottom on page 180. Mm -hmm. The difference. Well, I mean, the, the one who serves is the one who who is doing it presently. The one who is active in, in fighting is Yitzhar. Yeah, fighting in the yard Sahara. It's a it's a fight. Put up a good fight. The tzaddik, you know, the bainani has an advantage over the tzaddik. The tzaddik is somebody who served God. The bainani is somebody who serves God. I I missed your nuance. Oh. Did you say past served. versus present? Past served. versus okay. present. The tzaddik served God. It's something he did. So now he's, he's called an avad Hashem. It's something he did. Yes. It's something he achieved. Avad Hashem. Oh yeah. So, but the Benini is an Ovid, a worker. He's in the middle of working. The Tzaddik is Ovad. It's something he did. It's something he achieved. But for the Benini, it's not about what I achieved. It's the process. And that's why a, a Benini actually... It, for, it, we'll, we'll touch upon this actually in chapter 27. We're, we'll further elaborate on the advantage of a Benini over the Tzaddik. The Benini, Benini gets the fight. The Tzaddik doesn't get to. It seems like the Benini needs a lot more energy than Tzaddik. Tzaddik needs now no energy. The Tzaddik, I mean, for the Tzaddik, it's a lot of energy to become the Tzaddik. But once he got there, yeah, he can just relax now. He can, he can theoretically, not that he should relax. Yeah. But he theoretically can relax. His Yitzhahara probably won't bother him. He'll have his other challenges. The challenge between a tzaddik, for a tzaddik, is between not bad and good, but good and better. Well, Tzaz so is it for the Benini, because there's the Benini who doesn't. So yeah, you have... The humble one, the one who doesn't yeah, really... Yeah, you have the, the innocent, sheltered yeah, Benini. Yeah, the one who uh, is, doesn't have a challenge from his Yitzhahara. It says in the Talmud that there's no such thing as a person who didn't sin. 
that the word sin in Hebrew, chet, doesn't literally mean sin. It actually means lacking. There's no person that isn't lacking. There are people who don't sin. A benini doesn't sin. They control their thoughts, speech, and action. A tzaddik certainly doesn't sin because they don't even want to sin. But everybody could still be lacking. And the servant of God doesn't feel like, I made it. I made it. He's constantly pushing himself against his nature. When we receive the Torah on Mount Sinai, coming up in a few weeks, in Shavuos, about five weeks, we receive the Torah on Mount Sinai. So the first of the Ten Commandments. Anybody remember? Thou shalt not sin. <laughs> the first of the Ten Commandments. Oh. Uh, no false idols. No. That's, that's number two? Yeah. Number one? One, one God? One God, or to, to, to believe in God, that says, I am the Lord your God, who took you out of Egypt. So it's not, it's, it doesn't even sound like a commandment. So there's a whole discussion whether it's a commandment or a statement. Right. Um, most, if we want to be real technical, this is a, there's, there's a lot, a lot of ink spilled on this subject. <laughs> and it, very interesting. A lot of, a lot of uh, um, authorities, halachic authorities maintain that there's no mitzvah to believe in God. Because if God is commanding you to believe in God, then you already believe in God and He doesn't need to tell you to believe in Him. Wow. So there can't be a mitzvah. He can't command you to believe in Him because as soon as I believe He's commanding me, I already believe, so why would He command me to, to do that? So a lot of people do take it as a statement and they say the mitzvah is not to believe in God, but it's to know God. To take that faith... Faith is by nature abstract, right? You have the people, you know, the, the Talmud says you have the guy about to break into the house to steal. Says, God, help me. <laughs> what do you mean? You believe in God. Why are you stealing? He believes in God, but it's not enough to impact the way he feels. So the mitzvah is to internalize that belief, to know. The way we translated knowledge in chapter 3 of Tanya was to be intimate with that knowledge, with that idea. <laughs> To the point that it has an impact on me. Impacts my emotions. And ultimately my behavior. It becomes a value that actually guides my life. And when God tells us this on Mount Sinai, this is the opening statement. And he says, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. And a lot of the commentaries ask, I took you out of Egypt. Well, God did greater things than that. If he's trying to get us to believe in him and... and trying to show us his quote-unquote claim to fame, why say, I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt? Say, I'm the Lord your God who created the world. Taking us out of Egypt is just from point A to point B, creating the world, something from nothing, right? The answer is, as we receive the Torah on Mount Sinai, we receive the Ten Commandments, God is also alluding to us and hinting how we have to fulfill them by leaving Egypt, in a way where we're exceeding our own personal Egypt, our own comfort zone. So we leave Egypt twice. We leave, so it says in the Talmud, in every single generation, we said this in Haggadah, in every single generation, a person has to see himself as if he's left Egypt. You'll, we'll see later in chapter 49, 47. The Alta Rebbe says it's not just in every generation, it's actually every day. Every single day we recite the Shema. The Shmaz were saying, listen, Israel, Israel means the soul. 
Remember, listen up. We're trying to come in touch with, get in touch with the soul, and leave our own personal Egypt on a daily basis, on a, on a smaller scale. Any questions? Okay. Good stuff. <laughs> Good story. <no. laughs> so this service. There's two things that constitute service. Serving God. Not just doing what He wants, but actually serving Him. Two things. Number one, going beyond our nature. And that's expressed in the two analogies that he brought from the Talmud. One was you have the person that studies, normally he reviews his studies a hundred times, but when he goes beyond that and studies 101 times, it's, it's a lot more valuable. He's a servant because he, went, one more time, went beyond his nature, against his nature. The second example that he brought, right? The, the, rented, the rented one. The, right. the, the donkey, uh, the taxi driver, right? Right. right. Charges 10, whatever the increments of money it was for every 10 parsa. As soon as he wants to travel 11. an additional parsa, 11 parsas, they charge double. Because leaving your comfort, he normally goes 10. He goes from point A to point B. You want me to go out of my way, it's worth a lot more. When God, God tells us, go out of your way, it's very valuable to him. He likes that stuff. God likes that kind of stuff. I like the when you rent it, it never becomes yours. The relationship between you and your animal soul. Where's this? Uh, the top. It ends on the top of eighty-six. That that it may have all sorts of urges that you cannot fully control and own, but you're gonna hire the animal soul to serve God. So yeah. So the, so the the reason why I brought the analogy of the donkey, because donkey also refers to the animal soul. Donkey in Hebrew is chamor. And the Hebrew word chamor, donkey, can also mean chomer, uh, which is coarse. Something which is coarse, which is uh, very physical, very insensitive to spirituality. Referring to the animal soul. And we've got to push the animal soul to go out of its way. Go an extra mile. A little bit of a push. Now, there's a second qualification that makes it uh, that that consider that makes it service. It's two, you need two two components, two ingredients to make to, for it to be considered service that we've discussed in this chapter. Number one, exceeding our comfort zone, going against our nature. Number two, the motivation to exceed our nature has to come within. Can't be a reaction to an inspiration. Where does it say that? So it says that in two places. It says it once on page or several places. Once on page one eighty three. Where is this? 186, is that the because to change your habitual nature, you have to wake him within yourself to love God? Mm-hmm, has to come, with, has to come within. Is that, so, it can't be, it can't be the, the dormant, inherent love of God. Exactly, the, uh, exactly, exactly. It can't be, we have a natural love of God within ourselves because we have the soul. So if we can connect to that, if some of us, people who may be very sensitive or may be in an inspirational environment will feel that love. So I get inspired 
It's Yom Kippur, it's Ne'ilah, the tunes, good music, good... I'm in a good mood. Even though I'm starving. So I decided, and I'm starving, but I'm in a good mood. And I decide I'm gonna do a mitzvah. And my, I'm motivated by my inspiration. It's, it's a beautiful thing, it's not a bad thing, but it's not service. Because even if that service is against my nature, what's motivating that service is something else, not me. Something else being that inspiration. Now, do all Jews have the inherent love of God, even Jews who reject God? Yeah. That's why they reject Him. It's a love-hate relationship. Yeah, every, every Jew. And that comes from... I remember reading it, but I don't remember what it was. Which part, that, that every Jew has a dormant love in God, of God? Inherent love of God. It's in the middle paragraph on 183, the third one. Yeah, I also mentioned on the bottom of 183. It, it's in, we'll, we'll elaborate about it in uh, chapter 18. Chapter 18, 19 gets into the, to the hidden love. But every Jew loves God, every Jew can be inspired. Um, I remember when I was in yeshiva, we would go to the Israeli supermarket every Friday in Encino. In it's called Supercell. They had the shawarma stand there, and it was it was hopping with Israelis. We'd stand outside there. We had a table with we offer people to put on tefillin, give out Shabbos candles. And there's this one couple I used to see every single week. An Israeli couple, an elderly Israeli couple. They considered themselves to be atheists. And they believed in Darwinism and, and the whole spiel. And we used to get into these debates, to these arguments, which is such a bad idea. <laughs> I, used to, I used to like to debate. I used to have a lot of chutzpah. Um, <laughs> 17 year old arguing with a bunch of... Just picturing things. We used to get into these debates, and I used to try to encourage him to put on tefillin. But I don't believe in it. Yes, you do. <laughs> you're, what, you're a Jew. <coughs> His wife, at some point, got so angry at me. And I was so happy that she got angry at me, not because I want to make people angry, God forbid, but because what she said really told me how much she really believes even though she can't recognize it on an intellectual level, which is fine for now. She says to me, I know more about Judaism than you. I know more about Israel than you. I know more about Jewish history than you. I have more experience in the Jewish community than you. I'm more Jewish than you. Why is she being so defensive about her Judaism? I didn't accuse her of anything. Why is her Judaism, her heritage, that important? It's her identity. It's her identity. It's not just what she knows. It's who she is. She's so connected with God. She can't recognize that. You can't go there. Because I decided to believe in something. That is, um, I decided to subscribe to something different. Where my mind and heart takes me. But my soul is still there. I can't change that. That's another reason why many commentaries point out that there's no mitzvah to believe in God. Because you don't have a choice. 
you don't have a choice. You believe in God, <laughs> whether you like it or not. You have a mitzvah to connect with that belief on an intellectual and on an emotional level. But on a soul level, you believe in God. So God can't tell you, believe in me, because you don't have a choice. You already believe in Him. He could tell you, put on tefillin, because you could decide not to put on tefillin. He could tell you, keep kosher, because you could make that decision. He could tell you, learn Torah, because you could decide not to. He can't tell you, believe. Because you don't have a choice. You do believe. I have to yeah, no problem. We ha you have a choice. You, there's no choice. You believe. Every Jew has that connection to God. And if that connection, though, if it's a mere inspiration, and that's what's motivating my relation, my, my service, even if it's beyond my comfort zone, it's not really... It's not, it's not really service. Let's take a look on the, on the last bold paragraph of page 186. Because to change... Oh, I just have a question. Yeah. Why is it... So, I understand like to be a servant of God is very important. But just, maybe we're just a little bit hung up on the word servant. Because it can be, you know, a little bit like self-deprecating if you already think, always think of yourself. As, as a servant. Person. Yeah. Servant implies that it's not necessarily your own choice. It, it, it's, well, it's, it's not necessarily something I'm passionate about always, but I'm, but I'm a Jew. I'm connected. If it's defined by my passion, it should be expressed within my my passion should be expressed there. But if it's that, if it's defined by my passion, so today I'm passionate, tomorrow I'm not. Service implies. That day in, day out, this is what I'm doing. It's consistent. Does that make sense? I guess it can sound... I could have a negative connotation, but it has a, a idea that we're committed. Because we're connected on this soul level. So did you read the very last paragraph on 186? So, so before we get to the very last paragraph, let's look, uh, take a look at the bold on page 186. The last, the last bold paragraph. Okay. Because to change your habitual nature... You have to awaken within yourself the love of God through mindful meditation on the greatness of God. So not just be inspired and react to inspiration. I feel my soul because I'm in love with God. Not just to fall in love with God, but to grow into love with God. And by the way, this is true with, with any relationship. I remember in, in my early studies as an MFT, as when I first started out, one of the students was mentioning that we have an online forum and, and we all have to collaborate. And we were talking about relationships and she was saying that it's not about falling in love, it's about growing into love. And that's what we're saying here. When we fall into love with God, when we're inspired, how long does inspiration last for if we don't feel it? For the day, maybe. Hopefully, right? Yeah. <laughs> How many New Year's uh, resolutions have we, uh, <laughs> have we, um, not followed through on. Not followed through on. But when we develop and grow into love with God, through working on ourselves, through davening, through, through thinking, through really integrating Him, on an, uh, actively integrating Him in our lives, when that love motivates our service, when that love motivates, so then it's a real service. Because it's within. It's coming within. It's a, 
Isn't the one who the person who's changed their habitual nature? Aren't they kind of the uh, the stagnant vanity? The stagnant vanity is the person who doesn't need to because he's kind of just okay. He's born into a sheltered life. But he's not a lustful person. He's not a you know. So after they, just a goody goody. After they've changed their habitual <coughs> nature, they're no longer stagnant vanity. Because they're less. You just always want to be changing your habitual nature. Very good question. So once you exceed your comfort zone, now you have a new comfort zone to exceed. So once you, once you grow out of your comfort zone, you become you become comfortable in a new comfort zone, and now you have to leave that comfort so zone. So after the hundred first revision, yeah, it's normal. It's it's like it's like time. a imagine a a muscle builder. At some point, his shirt is going to be incredibly tight on him because he's, he's worked so hard in building those muscles. Right? That shirt is just busting open. His biceps are popping through that shirt. He has to get a new shirt. Okay, but he keeps on working on those muscles. Eventually, he'll have to get a new shirt. At some point, you, ex you exceed your comfort zone. Okay, I left Egypt. But he's serving God. It's not that he served God. What okay. he's doing, it's not what he did. So the stagnant vanity doesn't just have to be someone who is born into it. it can be exactly. You could you could become you can become stagnant. Can um, and take you know, take a look on one eighty four. The first bold paragraph. Okay. The same classification of a banini who does not serve God, the stagnant banini, is also applicable to a person who doesn't have natural disposition to study all the time but has nevertheless trained himself to study with extreme persistence. And it's become normal for him. It became his second nature. So you could have a Bainini who's, who's not stagnant. He really worked on himself. But he became stagnant. He became so comfortable in what he does. So he started off as a servant. And he's not a servant anymore, not because he's doing a bad job. He's doing too good of a job. So now he has to do an even better job. See, exactly. So what does he need to do? I, this is a, there's a nuance here. I don't know if it's a nuance, but I've never noticed it. I've learned this chapter several times. But I've, there's one word here that really... Is that the black file part? Is that part? Is it? We'll come back to that part later. This part. Are you still on 184? So, so, so we'll, we'll get okay, the... We'll get but there. looking... Yeah, back on 184, the next paragraph, the next bold paragraph. Okay. For him, the Bainini, by second nature, this dormant love is enough... To maintain his level without any extra effort. So how does he, what does he need to do? He has to learn more Torah than he's accustomed to. And that's how I always read it. And you know, you're reading it quickly, whatever it is. But it's not what it says. He, wants to study. he has to want to study more Torah. The love has to inspire us to not only do more. But want. But want to do more. And I, he, I, he has to invest more effort. And then, it, it not only doing what he has to do, but actually wanting to do what he has to do. Isn't it, that a tzaddik? No. No, a, a tzaddik not only wants to do good, but doesn't want to do bad. The main enemy will still want to. He'll still have a yetzer hara. He'll still be challenged. Not to the same extent of a tzaddik. And I, remember, I, I mentioned this story before, but when I was in yeshiva as a dorm supervisor... They wanted me to, to go on the Shabbaton. Breaking up a lot of trouble there. Yeah, they wanted me to go. 
uh, on the Shabbaton as a dorm supervisor on the Shabbos weekend away with the students. And my my uh, partner in crime was supposed to go. The other dorm counselor was there with me, was supposed to go. He got sick. So the rabbi comes to me and says, Josh, can you cover? Can you go? Can you supervise these kids over the weekend? I said, if I don't really want to, but if you want me to, I'll, I'll do it. He said, I don't want you to. I want you, you to want to. to. And that's where a benini, that's exceeding, that's what it takes to exceed our limitations. That's what it means to serve God. It's three, two or three steps. Number one, going beyond their nature. Number two, the motivation to go beyond their nature, nature is developed within. It's not just an inspiration. And number three, we've developed our nature. We, we've exceeded our nature so much to the point where we haven't just broken our nature. We've created a new nature, a positive nature, where I don't have to study because I'm forcing myself to, even though, but, but I want to. Does it matter if they want to for like certain reasons? Because what if they want to because of how, how they feel afterwards or something like that? So, like it's because it makes self, you feel good? Yeah. It's not a bad thing. Right. Or it's not, but it's not the ultimate goal. It's not, it's not the ultimate. But uh, this thing is like um, you have to push yourself no matter what, you're never happy with where you are. Yeah, I, I remember when I was in, uh, there's one, remind me to get back to what you said, but I remember when I was in yeshiva, mm-hmm. our rabbi used to ask us every day before his Talmud lecture, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. And people used to give their answers, I want this, I want, he used to ask us every single day. The last day of yeshiva, I asked him, Rabbi, what's the answer? You're asking us the whole year, what do you want to hear? It says, a Jew never grows up. Never get to the point where I've made it. There's always more. Socrates says, an honest man is always a child. I like it. <laughs> honest man is always a child. I like it. So, so in, in response to, to your question, what if he wants to do it for another reason? It makes him feel good. He's not altruistic and, and this is what God wants to do it. It makes me feel good. I feel good to put on the film and I feel good to light the Shabbos candles. I feel good eating kosher. It makes me feel like a good person. It's a beautiful thing. The reason why it's not service, let's apply that to a relationship. Your spouse says, can you do this and this for me? I'll decide if it makes me feel good afterwards. Can you take out the trash? Okay, I feel good about that. Right? How, how does that, how does that work? It, it, What's a you know, it's, it's not a, a real relationship is not about what I get out of the relationship as much as what I contribute to the relationship. So then you could also, but using, using that example to kind of make another point is like, nobody really wants to take the trash out, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't matter that it's the trash. Or it's folding the one the who clothing. asks. You. It's it's the one who asks you, and that you want to do it for the one and for the one who has asked you to do it because you want to, right? So whether it's taking the trash out or folding the laundry or whatever it is, which is exactly what we're saying. It's not that I have to, right? God says I don't want you to do this. I want you to want to do it. Free will. Same with you. He wants us to choose. He wants it to be a choice. And, and Which the, is why you have the ability to not do it. And the more you do it, assuming 
you're doing with the right mindset, the more you'll want to do it. Yeah. Because and it's a growing process. Behavior will trigger... Uh, so, so yeah. And you have to take out the trash and you have to do the garden and you have to do this yeah. because you I'm can't just I'm seeing behavioral psychology <laughs> get more and more in here. Yeah. It's an active strength yeah. of the soul. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at text one here. Excerpt from Hayom Yom. 29th of Av. Text one. There must be avoda. Avoda means service by one's own efforts. Service has to be self-motivated. Superior heights are attained when one is taken by the hand and led. So if we're inspired, as long as the inspiration lasts, we may be more passionate than were we to develop the love and inspiration on our own. But it's more precious when it's by one's own strength. It's more valuable to God when we've developed that uh, connection with him and, and rather than just react to it so you're not gonna reach the same peak but it will be will last longer yeah it'll be more real it'll be more internalized it'll be more it, it's more me now Groucho Marx once said why would I want to be part of a club that wants me as a member? I <laughs> In other words, what does God need my service for? Why does he want me to serve him? Why is it important that we serve him independently? Why is the service more precious when it becomes when it's independent, when it's not just reactive? Can you say it again? He's thinking about. No, when so when we when we're not just led by the hand, we actually do it on our own. It's more precious. Why is it more precious? Because we decide. And why does God need that? God needs. The, it's actually a mitzvah in the Torah. It says, "You shall serve the Lord your God." You should serve God. With a. Is it with, with your heart, with your there's several oh. contexts. The Altareb actually there's a there's a discourse not in Tanya where the Altareb says asks this very question. God needs us to serve Him. I don't want that God. So so I you know I think it comes down ultimately to to, to like what 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 the 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 entire discussion is about, which, which is bringing God down to be with us, which can only be done by having that connection. With Hashem, without that connection, God won't be down here with us, right? So he'll if, just we're, if be, we're not, he'll, he'll, he'll just be up there waiting for for waiting for that connection to happen, right? Um, so you, you you could say he he needs us to serve him so that the connection exists so that he can come down and dwell amongst us. In other words, if it's not coming from us. He's not really having a relationship with us. He just happens to be, quote-unquote, close proximity. If we're inspired, great, but I didn't want you to be inspired. I wanted to have a relationship. I want you to want it, not just to be inspired to want it. There was once a story where there was, you know, in, in, in Chabad circles... You know, in, especially in a Hasidic community in Crown Heights, 
You know, all the men will traditionally have beards. There was once an individual who wasn't wearing a beard, but he was a close follower of the Rebbe. And the Rebbe felt that it was appropriate for him to have a beard. He came from a slightly different background. He was maybe new to it, but the Rebbe felt he was at the point in time where that's something he should have. And he's at the point. The Rebbe told a different individual, said, can you encourage this fellow to grow a beard? Don't, didn't come from me. Okay. Talks to the guy. He says, so, uh, any thoughts on growing a beard? <laughs> he felt very uncomfortable. <laughs> very awkward. <laughs> any thoughts on growing a beard? He's like, and you are? <laughs> so just some random guy, not even a friend? <laughs> I don't know if they were, I don't know if he knew him or not, but so he tries encouraging him to grow up here and he says, listen, buddy, thanks, but no thanks. It's, it's really like, it's really none of your business. <laughs> Comes back a couple of later, days later and he brings it up again. He's like, who asked you? <laughs> like, eventually the guy got so frustrated. He said, look, I, he, get, he, he couldn't hold it in. The rabbit told me to tell you to grow a beard. So, oh. The rabbit sees him a couple months later and the guy has a beard. And he tells the, the messenger, he says, thank you for, he says, I have to confess. Bless you. Bless you. He says, I have to confess. I spilled the beans. He says, I spilled the beans. I, I, I mentioned that you wanted him to grow the beard. The Rebbe had a little bit of a, you know, disappointed look. So what's the difference? He has a beard now. Mission accomplished. You got what you wanted. He didn't want to grow the beard. Exactly. The Rebbe said, from the way I heard the story, the Rebbe said, he's wearing my beard. <laughs> I wanted him to wear his beard. Right. It has to come from him. Now. Or you should shave it off. The, the, no, it's not to say that he should shave it off. And it's not made, again. It's, yeah, start over. It's not to say that we should all necessarily, but we can all apply that in our own service. There's areas where we're doing something because we're inspired. And again, it's not a bad thing. He had a beard and it's not a bad thing. It's not bad. Should have been his idea. But it could, have been, it could be better. There's times where we're inspired now, when you're inspired, don't not do something because Josh said, <laughs> Josh said in our Tanya class that when you're inspired, don't do it because that's not what we're saying here. We're saying that, yeah, great, do that. Make a resolution when you're inspired. But do something to keep that inspiration to make it yours, to make it real. So you can be an independent carrier of that inspiration. You know, when you want to start a car, you ignite the engine. Turn the key, that spark ignites the engine. That's the inspiration. You know how long that spark lasts? It's a very short off. time. Very short time. You have to hold the car and start for it. You have to have fuel for that spark to ignite and, and keep the engine going. So yes, get inspired, make a resolution. I'm not, I'm not anti-inspiration. I love inspiration. But, gotta fuel the inspiration. When we feel the inspiration, it becomes ours. And that's really why service is important. Service entails making our relationship with God our own. Okay. Is it possible that one person can have inspiration, like just random inspiration, without even doing anything 
Yeah, and no actions or yeah. days. Or Inspiration can come out of nowhere. It's often triggered. To, it could be triggered by our environment or by an, an event, but inspiration can come out of nowhere. People can be... There's a, The Talmud says in Tractate Kedushin, it discusses the laws of marriage. Somebody who marries somebody on a condition, so if that condition is not met, the marriage is invalid. Somebody who says, I'm marrying you on condition that I'm a scholar. If he's not a scholar, the marriage never happened. They're not married. He says, I'm marrying you on condition that I'm wealthy. If he's not wealthy, they're not married. Talmud says, if he says, I'm marrying you on condition that I'm a complete tzaddik. So the Talmud says they might be married. Because it could be that one moment he was inspired. And with that inspiration, he actually did tshuva. He returned. Now, where did that inspiration come from? I don't know where. It says in Pirkei Elvis, every single day, there's that voice coming from heaven. The little man telling, giving us a little push. Now, we don't necessarily hear it on a conscious level, but our souls hear it. And sometimes we'll, we're, we may be more in touch with our souls. So yeah, inspiration can come out of nowhere. You know, I, 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 this is that's an interesting example because if you, if you think about it, um, you know, we, we keep saying that um, God, has, God has infused within us um, our, 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 our state of being. You know, if, if we're born to be a tzaddik, we're a tzaddik. If we're born to be a bainini, we're bainini. Now we can strive, we can work uh, to, to move from bainini to tzaddik, and, but the chances are not really great that we'll get there. But it's possible. But it's so. So the, the, my point being is like, okay, if this person says, "I'll marry you on condition that I'm a tzaddik," but he was born a bainini, so it's it's then, not likely that he's a tzaddik, but there's a but, chance but, but, that he's a tzaddik. So no, we don't consider it a valid marriage. We consider it that that marriage might be valid. So they either have to get a formal divorce or they have to actually get a formal marriage. But they're not. But wouldn't that also assume that he maintains a constant state of being a tzaddik? Because the, you know, if if, and can you really, if if you are, if you become a tzaddik, can you can you then can, right? Can you then go back and become a bainani? I don't think it, because you've transformed. You know, you have you have you have made that that well, that transformation where the yetsarhara is is not even influencing you anymore. It's not a transformation right? as a tzaddik. You you can always go back. You can always go back. I thought it wasn't oh. a transformation. Then then ha- then were were you ever a tzaddik? Then you won because you because you know it's it's yeah. you know if, I thought that's if, the whole deal of the tzaddik. If if, 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 if the heart has been emptied of if the heart has been emptied of but you could fill it. I suppose. Now, where, where does that motivation to fill it come from? I don't know. It's an interesting discussion. It, it is. I don't, I don't know. Because why would you fill it? Like, what, what would motivate you to fill it? I don't know. Why are you so up until this chapter, we've discussed how to kind of fight the animal's soul, hold it back so we can kind of ride... So, sorry, so we can... Do what we need to do so we can control our thoughts, speech, and actions so we can do what God wants. But now we're saying that we need to serve God. We can't just fight the animal. At some point, we have to ride the animal, integrate it so it becomes part of our life. Look in text 2. 
It's the wrong source. It's not from Exodus. I made a mistake. It's from Pirkei Avos, chapter <clears throat> 4. Forgiven. <laughs> it's from chapter 4 of Pirkei Avos. It says, Who is mighty? Who is considered to be strong? He who conquers his evil inclination. So the Baal Shem Tov asks, Why is a strong person somebody who, who conquers his inclination? It should be somebody who destroys the inclination. It's not just about destroying the animal soul, but ultimately transforming it. Now, we're not going to transform it like a tzaddik, but we can, to some degree, uh, you know, transform it. We can, our animal tendencies can be holy to some degree. We can be passionate about holy things. We can ride the animal soul. So it takes us where we need to go. We're not, not just fight with it. It doesn't have to be an obstacle. Let's take a look at text 5. Text 5 is from Kuntras Hatzfila. It's an essay on prayer written by the Rebbe Rashab. Uh, Shalom Dovber of Lubavitch. He was not the. He was the the fifth Lubavitch Rebbe in the Chabad dynasty. And he says the purpose of the godly soul's descent into the body is to influence the animal soul and refine its natural habits. The days of a person's life are numbered according to how long it takes to complete this job. Wow. The only reason why we exist, we can't. We don't exist so we can be. It's not about leaving our uh, world to connect to God, but it's actually bringing God in, into our into our life. This, this is really the whole purpose. Let's. We're gonna take a pause. Let's take a look at page four twenty two, which is chapter thirty seven. Um, quick question. Yeah. This. Are we supposed to, to, to take literally um, the part about uh, the days of a person's life are numbered? And the reason I ask that is because, I mean, that means some of us are going to live forever. So, so and, and, and so my, my follow-on to this question is, you know, if, if we're not supposed to take this literally, um, are we supposed to take it in the context of uh, that if, if we don't succeed in our current life, that in a reincarnation, in, in when, our, when our, our soul comes back again, it gives us an opportunity to continue to work on this? You have a certain amount of time. God gives you an allotment of time. This is how long it should take for you to do this. Um, now, you can't do everything. You, there will be a reincarnation. You can't do everything. You can't do 613 mitzvahs. Nobody can. Not just because it's too much. You're not a Kohen. There's a lot of things you can't do. You're not... A Kohen is not a Yisrael. There's a lot of things he can't yeah. do. You can't do everything. So, uh, there will be reincarnations. Okay. Um, our souls are all reincarnated. We're all fixing what somebody else didn't right. complete. So so then so then this should be taken in the context of 
you will return enough times that your soul has completed all... Well, I think it's both. You're also given... God expects you... Uh, look, he, you're not expected to be a tzaddik either. So you're not going to totally transform the animal soul. You're given a certain amount of time that it takes to transform the animal soul to the extent that you should. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? Okay. So in chapter 37... It, it, yeah, it is. It is. Very interesting discussion. In chapter 37, the Altar says, wait a minute, there's something confusing here. Why is my soul coming down to this world? My soul, before it came down to this world, was in closer proximity to God. So its love, its passion for God, its appreciation for God was much more real. Before it, came. Before it comes down. Now that it comes down to this world, I could be the greatest tzaddik ever. The passion won't amount to how it was beforehand. It will never be the same. So, God's putting me in this world and corrupting me. What's the point? It's a loss. Well, a loss for who? Right, because... You know, I. I, I, I've rarely thought of a time when I don't keep coming back to God wants to be dwelling amongst us down here. And if we're all up there, he we're won't. missing the point. Exactly. Huh? Then we're missing the point. We're missing the point. So that, that's the answer. It's not about loving God. At least not just with our godly soul. But it's about bringing God to everyone, even the animal soul. The godly soul, all of our godly souls, our shluchim, ambassadors, your shliach, or a shlucha. God sends that godly soul down. He says, it's not going to be as comfortable as it was in heaven. You're not going to have the minion three times a day. <laughs> you're not going to have, the, you're not going to have what, you, what, what you're used to, the amenities that you're used to. But you will have an opportunity that the souls in heaven do, 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 do not have. Right. So let's take a look on the top of page 422. The soul's downgrade as it is invested into a body and energizing the animal souls only for the purpose of fixing the body and the animal soul, not for the soul's own sake. Because it were to be for the soul's own sake, it never needed to come down. It was already in a very comfortable position. Now back to text 5, this essay on prayer. The purpose of the godly souls to influence the animal soul. That's all it needs to do. That, that's really what it's for. It's not about its... How does it influence the animal soul? Very practically. On a, on a practical way. How do we inspire the animal soul? So it, now, we could do mitzvahs. That's a very practical way. But on a more emotional and intellectual, psychological level, how do we get our animals involved? So I don't just have to go to shul. I want to go to shul. I don't have to keep going. How do I do that? The influencing of the animal soul occurs primarily through the service of prayer. Service of prayer. Not just through prayer. Not, not just not the prayer service, but the service of prayer. Exactly, I like it. Not the prayer service, but the service of prayer. I have a friend who's very into davening. He wrote a book on davening, a manual to the Hasidic guide to davening. And he says to me once, I'm in a big rush today. I don't have time to daven. I'm just going to say the words. Because <laughs> davening means not merely just saying words. And it's not just communicating on a soul emotional level, but it's actually both. It's body and soul. 
and when we daven, and you'll find that at our upcoming class if you're there, um, when we, I put this in for a plug in, huh? <laughs> I'm kidding. But when, when, when we daven, it's an opportunity to connect to God, not just on a soul level, but to actually bring our animals involved. It says in the Torah that the three prayers, Shachris, Mincha, of the morning, afternoon, and evening prayer, correspond to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And the Talmud brings a verse to show how each one of them, Avraham did Shachris, and it brings a verse. The verse that's brought for Avraham, Vayashkem Avraham Babokir, Avraham woke up in the morning. Now why does the Torah say he woke up in the morning? Say he prayed in the morning. Because the purpose of prayer is to wake us up, is to wake up the animal soul. And say, hello, so the <laughs> there's more to life. If this guy's going through the motion of saying the prayers, then it means that he's got time to do a good meal. Otherwise, yeah. he shouldn't do it. No, he still should do it because he's still getting the animal soul involved on a behavioral level. But he needs to change his thought pattern because yeah, he, he's got the time to say it rightly, then he can yeah. put the effort into it. Yeah, but it doesn't mean he should still do it. If, it should, if it's habit, habitual prayers are still getting the animal soul involved, the animal... Your godly soul can't move your lips. Your animal soul has I to. A, I have a practical question. And it says to, to pray to wake up in the morning. It says wake up. Like, you immediately get up and start praying or you know, brush your teeth. Brush your teeth first. Brush your teeth first. Like, <laughs> You're supposed to brush your teeth. It says, first thing is moda'ani. Moda'ani you say before anything. Before your feet hit the floor. Before your feet hit the ground, yeah. Before you even wash your... But no, for praying you should brush your teeth first. You should shower first. You shouldn't. Those are so things like that you wear, should. You like to wear like nice, nice clothes. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. For Is sure. Is it supposed to be when you're praying that you're speaking? <laughs> you're speaking that. Yeah. You're speaking to the king. Yeah. 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 So why yeah. would you talk to the king with? Bad breath and yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. A, no, according, it actually says in Ayom Yom, every morning you're supposed to wash your mouth before davening, before in articulating any brachas. The only exception is a fast day, where you have no other choice. So just to conclude with a story, there was once a, a chassid, and he was, his name was Rabbi Gershon Bear, and he was a knowledgeable person, and he used to he wanted to translate the davening into Yiddish. Not write a translation, a Yiddish translation, but as he would daven, he would translate the words into Yiddish. So it becomes more meaningful. So he asked the Rav, he asked the Rabbi, you know, there's certain parts of the prayers where I'm not supposed, you're not supposed to interrupt. From point A to point B, you're not supposed to have unnecessary interruptions. Like the Amida. Like the Amida and, and, and the Shema and other parts. Am I permitted to as I read the Hebrew, translated into Yiddish. So say, I'll say the Hebrew and I'll say the Yiddish because I, the rabbi says, look, Rabbi Gershon, you're a, you're, you're a scholar. You know Hebrew. You know the prayers. You've done this your whole life. Why do you have to translate it in Yiddish? Why is this question even relevant? You know Hebrew. So I know Hebrew. But my animal soul knows Yiddish. <laughs> the idea of prayer, the idea of davening is integrating our animal soul into Judaism where I'm not just and that, that's the bottom line of this chapter, serving God. So what's the final answer? <laughs> what's the final answer? What, what, is, what did he is, do? Did he translate? He did translate. From, from what I heard, he did it, even though he wasn't necessarily supposed to. Yeah. I, I think, I don't, I don't know the exact conclusion. There's, there's open to interpretation. 
<laughs> if you translate, you're repeating it, you're learning it, and you're putting it into your whole song. But that so was his. That was his uh, thought. I'm davening. I know like quarter Hebrew. You no, you could daven in in a, in any language, but he wanted to daven in two languages. He wanted to say the Hebrew and then say the Yiddish. So he wanted to take. But that would be like repeating. So that would be repeating. If you're davening in English, that's fine. If you're davening in Hebrew, I say the Hebrew out loud, but then read read English. Yeah. No, you could scan the English with your eyes or whatever it is. I do that. But but to articulate. It is, that feels much more powerful in Hebrew. In Hebrew is more powerful. I get you. Yeah. I get you. I, get, I, I agree. It's more... It sounds like a Bible class sometimes in English. Do you, you know what I mean? Like a, more transcendent. Kind of like you a, don't understand the Hebrew. No, it's more meaningful than language. You to read it in English. It's not a bad thing to read in English. It's a good thing to... No, to make it meaningful and to make it part of us, and ultimately that's that is what it's all about. It's to take our our godly soul should have a healthy relationship with our animal soul, not just suppress it. Actually, one more story. <laughs> Somebody gave the Altarebbe a tobacco box as a gift, a silver tobacco box as a gift. He said, "Thank you." <laughs> he doesn't. The Altarebbe didn't use tobacco. So he broke off, the story goes, he broke off the cover, the tobacco box, and he used it as a mirror for, to, for his tefillin, to make That's sure his tefillin was yeah. They told this story to the Tzemach Tzedek. The Tzemach Tzedek was the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, he was the grandson of the Alter Rebbe. So they said, this is what happened with your grandfather. They gave him this box. He didn't use the tobacco box, he broke off the top, he used it as a tefillin mirror. He said it never happened. This is what the grandson says. He wouldn't break it. Right? He wouldn't break it. He says, what do you mean never happened? We were there. He says, I, I don't know what he used the box for, not, but there's no way he broke it. Because the Altarebbe would never break. He probably unscrewed the hinges or untied the string, but he didn't break it. The Altarebbe writes the Tanya. Tells us how to tame and control our animal soul. But the, ultimately, the purpose is not to break us. Purpose is to build us. It's to build the animal soul into a mensch, not just an animal. It's my story and I'm sticking to it. Alright. Hey John. Hey John's on still. Hello. Go to sleep.